0: I'm not going mad. 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 Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now,
1: your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Clam.
0: Hello and welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam. We got a great episode for you today. I did an interview with Dana Eagle, one of my favorite comics, and she just wrote a book that's coming out now called How to Be Depressed, A Guide. And I think that just about any comedian or artist uh, is going to get a lot out of our conversation. The book is really funny. But before we get to the conversation with Dana, I actually have an announcement to make. For the first 41 episodes of this show, Gatekeeper, the intro to the show features my writing partner, Vanessa Ragland, introducing me as artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Flam. But after today's episode, we're going to have to re-record that intro because I will no longer be the artistic director of the Hollywood Improv. That's right. After six years uh, here at the Hollywood Improv, I'm finally spreading my wings and taken flight and it was a really tough decision to make it was actually a decision i made back in september and the night that i gave my notice to the improv gatekeeper producer andrew and i went to Cantor's delicatessen one of my favorite places in the entire world on fairfax and had a little powwow we went out after work and he started recording just to kind of to capture the moment where you're never more excited and never more scared and where are we right now We're at one of my favorite places in the entire world, Cantor's Deli on Fairfax in LA. And what's today? Today's Monday, September 23rd, 24th? 26th. Today's Monday, September 26th, 2016, around 11 p.m. at night. And how long have you been working at The Improv? I've been working at The Improv for five years and roughly nine months. And what did you do today? And today I gave official notice that I will be leaving the improv to pursue other opportunities. You don't know until you put out to the universe, into the world, and to the people you know that you're on the market, what else will there be? And I'm open to the idea that there could be a lot more than I even expect. Of course, my brain is telling me right now that I'm gonna be living on my parents' couch in a month when I have no money and no job prospects, but I also know that it was a leap I had to take, and I'm telling myself that the timing was never gonna be right and never feel right, and so uh, there's a lot of emotions running through my head right now. How are you feeling? Very mixed feelings right now the improv has been my family and my home for almost six years the longest I've ever spent at any job in my entire life and it really is booking a comedy club especially the Hollywood Improv it's a weird lifestyle and having lived within four blocks of work in the club you know I've basically lived in this neighborhood I mean they're improv or my house, or here at Cantor's. And, you know, I have such close family with people at the club, and, you know, our GM, Rita Piazza, who was the one who hired me and took a chance on me, and down to our our box office staff and office staff and everyone in between, like, and of course the comedians, and the artists that are there every night, like, It is a tight family, a dysfunctional, weird family, and to know that I'm gonna be leaving is very surreal and sad. But to be able to create my own and hopefully be able to produce at a higher level makes it exciting. I also feel liberated. You know, this job. is one of the craziest jobs on the planet booking a Hollywood comedy club and the egos and the the number of emails and texts and phone calls and constant barrage of people asking me for something the amount of times you have to say no the pressures that come from every angle and from having my own boss and the agendas of everyone else at the club and at the company and of this entire industry. It's a lot to juggle. Ready? Need a minute. I think we're ready. So in the time since I put in my notice and my last day is actually tomorrow as I'm recording this. I've had a lot of time to reflect and it's still all very surreal and weird because this has been my home and family for the last six years of my life. Um, I took the time to write a letter to all the comedians who have been sending in their veils to the club. And I thought it would be fun uh, to... It was cool. I actually recorded myself and my thoughts as I was writing it out. So this is what happened as I wrote. Hello, comedians. If you haven't already heard next week will be my last as artistic director of the Hollywood Improv. After a whirlwind six years, it's finally time for me to move on to pursue the next phase of my career in writing and producing. My departure comes on only positive terms with the club and it's absolutely bittersweet as this has been a magical home for me for over six years. This job is equally the most fun and challenging I've ever had and I'm very proud of how the club has evolved in my time here. I couldn't have done it with all of your amazing talent without the support of Bud Friedman The guidance of my boss, Aaron von Schaumfeld, and of course my partner in crime in taking the club to new heights, our GM, Rita Piazza. I'm sure the new booker will be inundated for her first several years as the booker, so please be patient. For a lot of you, my departure might seem like potentially bad news, as you know I'm a fan of your work and you don't know if you'll continue to get booked when I leave. For substantially more of you my departure might seem like fantastic news as you are rarely booked or haven't been booked for a set in years and now you have a chance to get back in the mix as far as i see it the booker may be changing but the vast politics of this venue will remain my advice is to just continue working on your craft becoming undeniable in as many rooms as possible many of you know that i'm a comedian at my core For better and worse, I've understood and empathized with the struggle of getting stage time and trying to make it in this insane business, which has made my job here all the more difficult. I consider our comedy community here, our comedians and staff and regulars, my family. And having to constantly say no to your family members can be the toughest thing in the world. Just know that even if you didn't get up as much as you wanted during my time here, it was never personal. I have only respect for all of you pursuing your dreams and passions. Please remember that every single night of the week, I've had to say no to hundreds of headlining comics that I consider to be supremely talented and cool and with credits and with agents and managers and all of those things that everyone thinks are required to perform here. So just know that if you didn't get as much stage time as you wanted, you've never been alone. It's just a harsh reminder that there are no guarantees in this business, even when you are seemingly doing everything right. So just keep working hard Be genuine and authentic, throw any entitlement you have out the window, as hard as that might be, and when you do get the chance to go up on one of the stages here, absolutely murder it. Easy peasy, am I right? I truly love you all and wish you the best in your careers and lives. I'm sure I will be working with many of you in various capacities for years to come. I thank you all for allowing me this time to experiment, to both succeed and fail, and to grow as a person. So there you have it, uh, my final parting words to the comedians here at The Improv. I shared that, of course, with you to give you the full perspective. It's nothing that you don't already know if you've been listening to this podcast. It's always very surreal leaving a place that you've been for so long. But I'm excited to jump off the cliff. And hopefully there'll be something uh, fluffy waiting for me on the bottom. And if you're wondering if this means it's the end of the Gatekeeper podcast, well, I'm going to give you a resounding no. No. Because I've gotten really good at saying no the last six years. The podcast will continue. Andrew and I are going to continue getting great interviews and putting them out. Uh, Of course, we're going to continue talking to bookers in the comedy world. But I'm excited to also start chronicling the next phase of my own career, where I'm going to have to start facing my own gatekeepers. And that's very scary. And so we're going to get to see all aspects of the gate, as it were. Both the front of the gate and the back of the gate. And as you must know from listening to this podcast, the job of booking a comedy club is extremely overwhelming. And I'm very excited to be able to have some extra time now to devote to this podcast and some of my other projects. So I think it's only going to get better. I can't wait to talk to more people in all sorts of industries about the challenges they face in being gatekeepers and dealing with gatekeepers. And I thank you all for going on this journey with me for the last year and for continuing on the journey for the next year to see where I go. Uh, Hopefully... I won't be ending up on my parents' couch. Hopefully going up. Funny sound, go up, 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 up. And not going funny sound, go down, 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 down. So that's where I am. And now we get to open the gate to the next exciting and hopeful and positive chapter of my life by talking to Dana Eagle about her book, How to Be Depressed. Okay. Welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam and I'm so excited about today's guest. It's Dana Eagle.
1: Yay! Am I allowed to cheer for myself? Of
0: course you are. Um, <laughs> she's the author of How to Be Depressed, a guide, which is not only an amazing book that I've Dang. read three quarters of. <gasps> because it oh was, my gosh. Which is pretty good for someone that has dealt with depression. And, yeah. But it's also the most beautiful book and it feels so good in my hand. Like, did you make these choices?
1: Didn't I? I wish I did. Um, I I wish I, I I feel like I was a part of them. I feel like I inspired them, um, but no, I didn't make them. The uh, the artist was uh, Kelly Passager, and uh, she has she's a fantastic artist. Her stuff is at the MoMA, so she's not like just an illustrator. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being just an illustrator, but uh, and yeah, but I did I did the text and.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the most it's important part. The
1: most important part. So yeah, I'm so glad. But yes, it's funny because I've been very surprised when people say that they've that they've read it. I'm like, oh, you read? You don't expect anybody to read right. anything anymore. It's more like, got your book. I don't expect like I read it.
0: Well, it's it's very easy to read. It's super funny, and we were just saying like, um, and I guess we'll open with this. It's called How to Be Depressed: A Guide. Yes. Uh, but I found it to be extremely motivational.
1: That's wonderful because.
0: A, clearly you have dealt with depression mm-hmm. and here, here's a book that you wrote right in front of us, right? That's amazing. Yeah. So the fact that you've gotten something done, but you know, I think people reading, especially comics, you, you have to relate to, uh, the specifics of depression. I, I mean, the things that resonated the most for me were, um, I think it was like a 15 point list of how to get something done.
1: Right, right. How to leave things unfinished. Yes. How to leave things
0: unfinished. And that's my (laughs) life. It's like, uh, actually, can we find it real quick? Do you even know what page it's on?
1: I think I do know where it is. I have an idea of where things are. It
0: could not more perfectly describe my relationship with creating things. And if you don't mind just reading it.
1: Oh, really? Okay, I don't know.
0: Is it too much of a spoiler? But it's
1: so funny that you said that because that, it was definitely based on what I felt stand-up did for me and depression and you know, as a comic, like I don't want to do that whole thing of like, Oh, it'll heal you you know, because I don't want to be one of those other people that I make fun of. Right. But um
0: Oh, and I was gonna say that that's the other thing that I am definitely describe the types of um depressed people and I all the
1: types of depressed
0: people. I'm the one that's like every six months breaks out and has the answer because I read a book.
1: Oh, <gasps> are you really? That's Wait, me. we should go to that page because I'm a I'm the cicada depressive. Okay, let's let's. I come out like every seven years, so <laughs> I have types of depressives. Let's see page twenty eight, and uh, the, they'll they'll edit out the page turning and stuff. It's right before. Right no, ahead. I think
0: this adds some like authenticity. It like does. it's happening right before us.
1: Yeah. Okay, so oh, there's the I'm fine depressive. Uh, And then, let's see, you were the... I'm the cicada emerges every five to seven years when you ask, where have you been? He simply says... I just had to work some stuff out. right? (laughs) I know a few of those. You are the breakthrough depressive. Yes. Every six months or so, the breakthrough depressive discovers it, a transforming experience, religion, or book that offers the key to total happiness. This time, he really got it. You can, too, by making five easy installments of 1999. (laughs) That's me. Yeah.
0: It truly is. and Andrew's shaking his head because he's known me for about a year and a half, and there's probably been three of those. The Power of Now. Uh, oh,
1: my God. You meditation. Can Heal Your Life. Yeah. Uh, Beth Sherman, uh, she's a writer. She said, she lo- had that book in my car, and she looked at it. We were on our way to a gig, and she looked at it. It said, uh, you can heal your life, and she, at she said, you can't.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, what else do you have on your On my shelf? list of,
0: oh, I mean, I've got them all. I've got them, the Wayne Dyer series. Wayne Dyer. I've watched some of his stuff. Uh, tons of things on Buddhism and meditation.
1: And the thing is, with those books, I... I got something out of every single one, but at the same time, they also make you feel like if you're not happy or you're not, your life isn't what you want it to be, that it's your fault. Mm -hmm. It means you're not having the right thoughts. And that's not true. I think they also, uh, well, I guess you can't sell a book by saying, Hey, I can make things really good. You know, they, they, oversell the sure. the promise of happiness of like this is going to change your whole life and yeah I guess this was also written in response to that because you know every time you get one of those books and you sort of subscribe to one of those plans you're kind of putting your heart on the line and you're you're sort of like it brings up all the other times you did it and it didn't work and uh, and so it's just you have to have that You're like, is hope playing a trick on me? Yes. That's how you feel.
0: I do. I will say though, that when you're reading a book, um, just the being proactive about and making a choice about making your life better, that alone helps. So of course, while you're reading an inspirational book, you're, you're going to feel better because it's like, I just like getting a massage or when you, when you self care for yourself, Um,
1: positive action is my,
0: yeah. it it. could be very (laughs) fleeting of course, because as soon as you resort back to the habits that, um, or, you know, listening to our crazy brains. Um, but in those moments, just being proactive is is very helpful.
1: It is. Where'd you get your crazy brain from mom, dad?
0: That's a good question. I'm I'm Judaism. Uh, that's it. Yeah. That's it.
1: That's it. We didn't have a, we didn't have a choice. What about you? Um, Yeah. I mean, my genes, um, (laughs) I don't want to blame all of Eastern Europe, but we are, that's the side of my family that has it. But, uh, I was talking to another, uh, comedian and uh, it was Greg Fitzsimmons. And we were saying how, when you live with that, you're always looking back at your life going, where was that point where things broke? Like you're looking for a moment, but then when I'm really honest with myself, I'm like, Oh, this was this was pre-programmed. I was yeah. predisposed and it's just an issue of, uh, managing, making sure I'm always at the top of my range.
0: <laughs> so let's talk, let's go through like what, what point, let's talk about right. depression for a minute and your relationship with it, if you don't mind.
1: Oh, sure. It, you know, I think at this point it's very, it's very hard to pull apart because it's hard to say, um, I think it's hard to pull apart because I'm also gay and uh, I'm an artist and show business. And so there's so many things that take me out of the general population. And then there's just my genes. So it's always going, well, yeah, that thing of would that have been me anyway? But the depression has gotten better as I've gotten older, mostly because um, I label it as that. And before I used to do the, I'm fine. It's just this thing that's wrong, mm-hmm. and it wasn't the thing. I was the thing. So, um, and it came on uh, with with puberty at age 11, and everything just life just changed within the matter of a month. And then um, I'm not being chronological here. And and then what happened was a uh, it, it was a little difficult to treat I, I hadn't I had had a therapist that had really talked me out of meds. Uh, you know it was like what w- what's that gonna do? And uh, I guess it was gonna keep her she thought it was gonna leave her without a client and uh, and that was um, that's irresponsible because she's not a doctor, so she shouldn't have said that. and uh, and then when I came out to LA, I was hitting that age where uh, what it turned out to be was bipolar tends to hit its peak. And so uh, it took it took a little while to get it from the time I started. I mean, it. it that's what they say. It's generally a 10-year diagnosis, but it's bipolar 2, so, which I say is the sequel and never as good as the original. <laughs> so I don't have the fun stuff. Like I don't have like the, I'm going to go out and throw a party because <laughs> bipolar 2, you get more of the low episodes and then the high episodes are just... A buzz. I just seem like, oh, she's, she's really happy today. Um, so it turned out to be that. And, uh, yeah, when I mean, we're, we're managing. <laughs> now I just acted like there's two of us.
0: <laughs> are, maybe there are.
1: Maybe there are. There's, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, you could argue that we all have, um, I mean, whether it's diagnosed multiple personalities or right. not, but like. You know, I, I think of that ego, that's that never-ending chatter in our brain is this other voice. And I, yeah. I can sometimes see, like, the, the angel and the devil. It's so cliche, but, like... Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, my brain could just hop onto something, and it could chew on it, mm-hmm. and it could, like... I call it brain candy. Um, Jimmy Brogan calls it circling the drain. So I'm not sure which one's right, but I'm like, it, it'll just... Hop on something and I'll just keep eating it, and, eat. and mm-hmm. it's like this. But it's this empty sugar that goes nowhere.
0: And so, how does this? How has this played into your comedy career? And when, when did you start doing comedy?
1: I started doing comedy not until my late twenties because I started a musical theater and I was asked to leave. And what happened? <laughs> I I was on a tour of a musical, but I was in the only non singing role and after four months, I was like, but I really can sing. And, uh, and they were like, no, you can't sing and you're annoying to be on a bus with. And, uh, so I really did think I could sing. And then were you um, singing on the bus? I was singing on the bus. I was in the final number, but I was trying to do everybody else's solos and, uh, and it was sort of a joke, but then somebody had actually taken me aside and they said, you know, you, you are really funny and you really should give this a shot. And, I had grown up watching stand-up because I'm Jewish and we went to the Catskills for Christmas and, you know, they always brought in a comedian. Um, And my parents loved comedy, so they let us watch HBO and a lot of stuff we should not have been watching uh, because we were latchkey kids. So I had the experience, but I didn't know it was a skill you could learn. And then when I got off tour, I was living in New York City and there was a, a weekend workshop with Judy Carter. And I should say I had been performing since I was a little kid and I used to try and go on auditions. I was not a cute kid, like, you know, like kids that get into show business are always like really small for their age. I was, which I'm small now, but this is the (laughs) height I was like when I was eight and I was the least cute thing. And I would just circle these auditions and I'd be like, mom, we have an audition. And she wasn't that into it. So finally they signed me up for classes. Um,
0: how old were you when you took a class with Judy Carter?
1: I was, I want to say like 27 or 28. Yeah, it was. And I, and I don't think I was a standout in any way, but it's, I just knew immediately I'd always liked writing and I, it was just, I just knew. I was just like, oh, this is it. I never fit into anything else. And, yeah, I was knocking my head against a lot of doors. And I I guess with this, I could um, – it's weird because, yeah, because with stand-up, it's like, well, you, you don't have to be someone else. You're just you, which is funny because most of the time I'm trying not to be me. But you, for me, I think I'm one of those people where I'm on stage and more uh, – a mat, like I take a part of myself and I'm more magnified, like mm-hmm. that energy doesn't last, you know, for, doesn't last beyond uh, two hours after the show. So, um,
0: and so how, how have you managed, um, your stand up career with, with bipolar too? And,
1: uh, it's been a challenge. Um, Hmm. As far as material or just, yeah, I mean, it's been, I think um, when I went on the meds the first time, I I do have to say life changed for me very much. And and I got that experience of, oh, this is how everybody else is living their life. Like it's supposed to exist within a range. You know, it's not about you're, you're never it's always, I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but I always get so frustrated when I hear, you know, people say like, Oh, everybody just wants to take a pill to be happy. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. It just pushes you into the range. You could still get upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up, um, going off of those because I was having stomach issues, which we found out what those were about several years later. Um, and the, and since then it has been difficult, but the knowledge base has helped so much. Plus having a therapist plus hanging around with people who handle their comedy and their life well. And in particular, I don't want to embarrass the James P connolly He's a comedian and yeah. he's, he's fantastic. And, um, the year I was editing my CD, I assisted him. I worked in his office cause he does corporates and, he, um, just watching how he handled things, like seeing like when something disappointing happens, like he would be like, Oh shoot. (sighs) Okay. All right. And I was like, no, wait, what happened to the falling apart, quitting the day, you know, just getting rid of, you know, yelling, figuring, you know, there was none of that. And, Seeing it, seeing behavior modeled, I mean, it sounds pathetic, but it made an enormous no, difference I mean, to me. It's
0: inspiring just hearing about that. And and the, that idea of quitting the day makes so much sense. <laughs> and how quickly that can become quitting the weekend, quitting the week, month, and now that can become years.
1: Yes, 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 I've been there. I've actually... And, and that was, I think, the part that got filled in when I when I worked for him was figuring out how to... Understanding... I knew where it was I was supposed to get back to. I think that's what it is. As you get the knowledge base, you also get the map of like where you're supposed to be. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I have a great shrinky ink. who's, uh, yeah, she's, she's terrific. And actually the two of them kind of happened. They, they, they had some overlap and she, she also, you know, I'll say, you know, this thing isn't going right because of this and this and, and, uh, and you should know one of my favorite things is to be right. That's like sure. what heaven's going to be for me, everyone just <laughs> replaying things where I was right. And uh and sh- and she'll go, "Well, I don't I don't really see it that way. I I actually see and you know, she'll say something more positive." And I remember my first instinct was to be right and and cuz I felt like I was and I knew I had all the reasons why I was right. But once I made the choice of like it wasn't about being right. It's about what's going to make me want to wake up in the morning, Mm -hmm. which I guess gave me some insight to why people believe in God.
0: (laughs) Well, that being right, I mean, some, the way I see it, um, is is that ego, um, wanting to validate itself and to validate everything it's been telling you all day or week, uh, that justifies, uh, maybe a more negative view of the world or why it's okay to, uh, lay in bed or just not be doing the things that you know in your heart you should be.
1: Right. Well, it also, it's usually a story of how I'm not in control. And if I'm not in control, then there's no point in really doing anything. You know? Oh,
0: that resonates so much. Oh, it does. Oh God. Yeah. I run away. When did
1: yours appear? Am I allowed to ask questions on here too?
0: Yeah. And for the record, I have not been, well, I've been this last year I I started seeing a psychiatrist. Oh, you did? Because I was finally at a point of like, and I've been, I was never for meds mm-hmm. and, and I've totally changed my tune. Not just having started taking some, but, um, just realizing that, you know, they, they can be very helpful and not, they can. I like, and going back to like, you know, I'm the six months I have all the answers. I've had those conversations with people that are dealing with very real depression and anxiety and been like, you just need to meditate. If you meditate, you'll be all taken care of. But understanding that these things are much deeper than that um, and that yes. it can be, of course, very helpful and probably in some cases um, could be um, some sort of cure-all. Um, but uh, having started taking it, um, you know, I take those tests and a lot of them, you know, like the, the questions about and like, and he's like, I, you, have, you have minor depression, but it's more anxiety. And I never thought of myself as an anxious person. But,
1: oh, because you're a good actor.
0: I guess so. But um, so I I re, I was diagnosed with having um, anxiety and um and ADD.
1: Mm-hmm. And so that's a challenge. Yeah, we
0: talked when you got here. So are you? We can talked, you talk
1: about... Yeah, we could talk about the what, ADD. What do you take? Um, I do you take the the Adderall? I take the Adderall. <laughs> I take the Adderall. Um, I try going off of it a lot. I don't like uh I, before shows. I actually. Um, I'll try and switch from an Adderall to a coffee. I prefer that. Um, cause I don't know if you know how it works, but coffee lights up your whole brain and Adderall, uh, shuts down most of your brain except for one part so mm. that things don't keep coming in. Um, so yeah, I've, I've struggled with it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. That one I'm still in the middle of cause mm. I have... Well, you know what it is. If you have anxiety, it also ups your anxiety. And if you have any sort of obsessive tendencies, it... Um, but the, I did want to say one thing about um, about the medicine before, uh, which is for me, for the years that my medicine did, the bipolar medicine I was on did work. Like I said, it gave me that map and it gave me a period of time to learn the skills I needed to learn. Mm. And And so I think even though... We ended up phasing out the medicine, the skills stuck with me. I could use a refresher, but they stuck with me. Of course. Me. So, um, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm all about pills, pills, pills. It's just, I don't want there. I don't think there should be shame in it. It's, uh, Jonathan Kozel the, in the book, the noonday demon, he says something about, uh, you know, depression is never the fault of the person who has it and yet it's up to them to do every single thing that they can. But then he also adds to it, but if you do too much, you also kind of work again. Like it is this really delicate mm-hmm. balance of sometimes you have to just let go and anyway.
0: Well, it's um
1: I took you off the okay, but the Oh no, we
0: don't, we don't yeah. have to talk about it and oh, then, yeah. then I also started taking Zoloft.
1: Oh, you did? About
0: four or five months ago. And I've seen a considerable change.
1: You have. Yeah. That's wonderful.
0: Yeah. And part of it too is, you know, booking a comedy club and it just, it's even more coming at you from every direction constantly, especially the Hollywood improv where it's just hundreds of emails and texts and, you know, walking around this club and comics and wanting to shake your hand and all that stuff. So those things have helped, um, Uh, just make it more manageable.
1: Your job is a very difficult job for a Jew because, (laughs) (laughs) because we're, it's so easy to make us feel guilty. So everybody wants to perform at this club and you're totally wired for them to play on that. And I
0: never even thought about that. Guilt and shame are the the major
1: guilt and shame. Oh my God. Those are, well, our two main ingredients of the Hebrew. And I'm not like
0: the guy like I'm not I'm the worst person on Twitter, but the, the one thing I have pinned to the top of it is um you know uh, booking a comedy club is 99% or 1% booking 99% apologizing. And oh, wow. I still to this day and I've gotten tremendously better at saying no um cuz I have to. There's only so many spots for so many people, but of course. it still hurts my soul. And you know you send in avails um when you're in town and you know, it's five to six pages of dozens of names. It's hundreds of names. And even though it takes four seconds for someone to send in the dates that are available, I just see hundreds of people who took that time who are not getting what they want and I'm responsible. Uh, So that weighs on you.
1: Yeah, I could could see that because the, you you know, as a performer, I have a different point of view of that. Um, But uh you know my my point of view as a performer is uh you know no one no one knocked on my door and was like hey we need another comedian come on right. you know i chose this and uh I grew up uh advantaged i got to go to college and stuff so you know i there's other things out there for me and um and i can leave anytime i want i just can't get along with people outside of comedy <laughs>
0: You Um, you found your community.
1: But yes, yes. Because we're so... I could swear on here, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, We're so no bullshit. Everybody else is like... There's so much... And I, I notice, you know, even with promoting the book, and I have to go back and forth from the publishing company, which is... They're professionals. They're a corporate environment. And both writing it and then in the promotion of it, I'll sometimes read emails and be like, I don't get it. Because comedians, we don't mince words. People just say what needs to be said. And hear him. you know, you're I'm like, is there another message in that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But yes, with what you do also, if you're not a fan of, um, of incoming, you know, I, I'm not sure if you, I don't know if you have just the ADD or if you have the ADHD, I have the HD where I could also hyper-focus. I could shut the world out and that's that's heaven for me. Yeah. I could shut the world out and just focus on something and get it done. And I, I love that. Um, but too much incoming plays into the, the, the anxiety, the ADD. And it's so weird because like, I love doing sets. And of course, if I have a good set, I feel good and I want to come and uh, say hello to people, but that's the part that takes the most energy out of me. Mm-hmm. I, I want to do it but it's definitely the saying hello is the part that takes the most energy out of I me, mean, not the show itself. And basically that's what you do every night.
0: Well, the, what you say incoming. Um, and I think by the time this episode comes out, it will be, I might be done booking <gasps> this club after six years, which is oh. Andrew smiling because I, I've not mentioned it on any podcast in the months I've known. This, this. is the
1: first people,
0: <clears throat> but, um, at the end of the day, because it, it, on paper booking a comedy club, because I want to be write and produce and be creative and even creative as a booker. And, you know, there's nights here where I book the entire lineup or produce a show and there's a band and, um, or, you know, certain people that I'm working with to produce something. But, you know, 90% of the time it's just, I'm just dealing with incoming. Yeah. Um, and that's where the, the, the ADHD really hits. It's like, it's so hard to be creative when you, I could, I could, Today I have 350 emails um, in my inbox and I've not been able to get down past 300 for three weeks. And so that wow. takes up the entire day. Of course. Um, but the idea of being creative and being proactively creative versus just dealing with a million people's requests constantly. Right. And, Shutting
1: off the incoming and choosing your own thing.
0: Yeah. And, and this place, especially because it's like an industry Hollywood improv club, um, part of my job is to massage a thousand different oh. comedians and agents and managers and bosses. Um, anyway, that's that.
1: That's so weird. Cause it's like, that's the problem I find with incoming is I, f- I feel like I have my gut instinct of what's important and what's not. But when there's too much incoming, that gets a little bit drowned out. And you probably have a lot of people with names and their managers and their agents and everybody else who's saying here's what and who is important and uh yeah that's probably it's hard to to
0: truly curate and be an artist uh, in this and granted there's been amazing opportunities and
1: it must be is it painful is it painful watching other people and you're like oh well i want to be doing that
0: um it can be and i've found my ways to be creative but um But yeah, after six years, it's finally time. Anyway, this became about me and me leaving. I know. I tend to do that.
1: I tend to do. I I love asking people. I know. I love asking people questions. When I was in, uh, when I was when I did the shows in Iraq, they were like, if you got captured, uh, you would ask more questions than the interrogator. They'd be like, did you always know you wanted to be an interrogator? Was your father an interrogator? It's an amazing people skill. So, people, I I always like knowing how people made their choices or got to where they are now, like with you, I'm like, what? Wow. How do you handle that? How do you? Yeah.
0: I don't, I, I, I tend to, to uh, check out. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it's the control thing. Like you mentioned, like, yep. um, like, well, I don't have control, so I'm just going to give in. And I have the tendency to just wait. Like, um, like as, when I'm finally done here, mm-hmm. then I can really focus on what I want to do.
1: Are you, a, are you, a uh 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. person
0: um explain exactly what it is well that's why I'm usually trying to sleep I can't
1: I yes I try to go to sleep but sometimes like as I'm turning as it's turning from 1 a.m. to 2 I'm like everybody's gone everything's go- no one needs anything from me now mm-hmm. I could just do what it is that I want to do mm. so I had to sort of learn to go to sleep and uh yeah, but, uh, okay, so you're not, I won't call you for the diner. It's <laughs> 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. I'll do the diner. <laughs> yeah?
0: No, I, I, it, it is weird, because I, I do like being up late, and, of course, a lot of people and artists like that early time, you know, waking up at 6 before yeah. everyone gets to the office at 9 where you have two to three hours just to, to be alone with yourself.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I'm trying to do the, when I do the stay up all night thing, then it is a little harder to, I, c- I could do those one night now, um, I used to be able, probably cause of the bipolar, I, I used to be able to pull it off for two, almost three nights, wow. like with barely any sleep. Yeah. But that went away. So. Um,
0: well, and this, in this day and age too, and I, I don't know how much, um, you'd have to deal with this too, but the incoming is, it's not just email anymore. It never um, stops. It's Facebook messages. It's Twitter. It's, I have 300 unread texts right now. And those are the things like, I'm, i like, I'm two weeks away from. Yes that should die down a little bit.
1: Yep. Yep. I, uh, there's a few things that helped me with that. Well, one thing that I, that I still struggle with, and now I'm wondering this about you is, uh, refueling. Like that's so key. Cause I always feel like I just want to turn on TV, but I don't actually refuel by watching TV. Um, but it's always hard to find like, what's that task that's going to kind of do, you know, what happens with the etch a sketch when you shake it mm-hmm. and, so do you have one of, do you have one of those things that
0: I think the tr- when I'm truly creative,
1: uh-huh.
0: when I'm, I sit down with my writing partner and we have two to three hours and we're just basically being stupid characters and improvising and being dumb. Like I always feel refreshed exercise. It's, it's, yeah, those are the things too. Like I feel like I have the answers for myself. Like when I have an, a routine that includes exercise and eating well and just being yep. more present <laughs> in my decisions that I'm making. Yes. I'm infinitely happier and I radiate
1: Yes, yeah. versus
0: not. And like, I can easily go three months here, three months. Opposite. Because you
1: feel like you're being true to yourself too.
0: Yeah. It's, it's integrity. I, I believe.
1: I'm excited. I was kind of like, Oh, he's leaving. There's not a lot of people in LA that like me. I have somebody that likes me. that's leaving. Everyone I yeah, know that's no. <laughs> ever
0: mentioned your name is, it's only oh, with you. love.
1: Um, you have it spoken to everybody. Um, but, well, let's talk about the book. Oh, sorry. Okay, or what, yeah. and every, no, I, Let's I talk about this. the book. One thing that uh, is... It, I'm being a control freak. Um, one thing that's interesting, but it, it sort of hinges off our conversation, is I don't know if you know this, but right after I got the book deal, I found out that I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of no. cancer. And this is the... It was, it was a sprinkle of cancer. It turned out to be... Um, it's what they call lazy cancer. And so it's... Uh, It's, it has the, it has the cancer code, but it's, it's like the, I keep calling it the stoner of cancers. Like it doesn't (laughs) replicate the way that most cancers do. And, uh, so it turned out to be curable and I just had to do one month of radiation and, uh, that was it. Um, and, but the interesting thing, and I can't do a fair comparison because I had, of all the can- like they were like oh if you're going to get one that you got the right one right. you know so um so i had the easiest cancer and I, I i think i have like a little bit more complex of a depression um but i do have to say physical illness so much easier than mental illness Wow, so much easier it's it's great i highly recommend it
0: <laughs> it's like yeah it's, what's the radiation for are shutting our brains off.
1: I know. I know. Well, and that's the thing is like with, with physical stuff, everybody else is telling you what's happening. Mm. You don't, I don't have to sit there and try and say, well, it feels like this. They've got the pictures. There's a team of people. They're going to tell you what to do you don't have the shame involved of like, I did something wrong mm-hmm. and probably by the way, I probably did do something wrong. Cause I was not very nice to my stomach. Um, and like, yeah, everybody, you, they're just completely like you can start a GoFundMe. I didn't, but you could start a GoFundMe for cancer, but no one's going to start a GoFundMe for like, I just can't get out of bed this morning. So,
0: that's a good point. Um, well, talk about, I mean, the writing of the book and how do you, when did the idea come and how do you, how do you get a book deal? I mean, that's a gatekeeper thing I haven't really oh, talked to. Oh, like,
1: okay. You have an idea for a book. Now what? You have an idea for a book. <laughs> then talk to Dana Eagle and you'll put it down. <laughs> um, so it, it's like everything else. It's a, it's a long time in the making, but uh, this was actually part of a, a play that I wrote and it was a professor who was uh, in the play who was giving a lecture On depression, And then it sort of, she sort of unravels herself and is like, first, you're going to need sweatpants. And and I read that at my writer's group. I had part of it up, I'm trying to think, but then I read part of it at my writer's group and they were like, that's a book. And then a few other people also, as I was doing it, chimed in. And then the shorter version of the story is then what happened was I was playing a rehab center. And I wanted to see how it would do. And I think this is the lesson in it is I, cause I didn't have publishing stuff on my computer. So I sat there and I laid it all out by hand, you know, cause if you want it to flip like a book, you need mm. special, but, it, and it basically became a booklet, like one of those little poetry booklets. And I ran it off at Kinko's and I brought it to the rehab center. Of course, didn't put together that like when you're at inpatient rehab, you're not really walking around with cash. So I ended up giving them out. But then from there, I sort of kept making like a few copies here and there. And then one of them found its way to a comedian, found its way to an author and found its way to my agent, my who's now my literary agent. And um, we gave it a few tries. And the funny thing, I have to find the email and put it up there is one of the first publisher responses was the publisher who does like Neurotics Notebook and Hypochondriacs Handbook. And they said, uh, we're not sure if this group of people has a sense of humor the way that the <laughs> others do. <laughs> it's like, okay, clearly you've not been depressed. And uh, so she wanted a few rewrites on it. But at the time I was performing quite a bit. And I don't know. I, I think, I, you know, it's funny. It's something I always struggle with now, but I I really always feel like if you want me to change something and and this, I mean, the agent was just trying to make the sale. She was doing her job. If somebody wants me to change something, that's fine once you've bought it, but buy it first. Otherwise I'm just making it the way that I want to make it. Um, But so, so I let it sit. And then after last comic standing, somebody else who had had their hands on it, called me about it and then I called the agent and then by that time what happened was hyperbole and a half came out and her book was a huge hit it's a graphic novel and it has a few pages in it about her it's more than a few about her depression and her blog and hers is really heartfelt you know mine isn't a personal story Um, but I think that broke open of like oh we can have a humorous book about this because uh, yeah, I mean like most industries uh they want to see it done successfully first and hers came off of a successful blog and um mine came off of stand up and then I guess luckily the heels of of hers so uh yeah so then all of a sudden it was it was very much wanted
0: and uh, but you, but the original writing was basically for yourself and then to share with your audience Yeah. It wasn't like a a big, like, let's make, you know, publish this and and make big money play or anything.
1: It wasn't, it was really, I do keep a list of projects, um, where I just feel like I want to, I'm going to do them. Like I have one after this and it's just essays and, uh, and it's like, well, I'm going to do it whether somebody buys it or not. And it really doesn't matter to me. it's just more a personal thing it mm-hmm. it's it's always better to be in the market. I'm somebody who keeps myself out a little bit too much but um so but I think those projects tend to have more depth that I think when uh, last April I did send my agent a few more ideas of things that I had and I was like, great, let's try and sell something else and I forgot I have a contract. I can't sell anything else and uh, and so. But the truth is, is, yeah, I mean, the topic has to be close to you. And I think it's true. Any project you do, by the end of it, you're going to be like, I never want to see this again. So you really have to make sure not only that you love it, but that you can that you can find enough places to go. And on the one hand, uh, depression has many places to go. But on the other hand, I had traveled through many of those journeys yeah. and so, um, I felt like I had the detail of those places and, um, when you, when you pick something just hoping it matches market, I, I don't know, I, I can't even speak to that cause it's just not my, I've never succeeded in that way anyway.
0: Um, well I want to go back to that one. If we oh can sorry, find I it.
1: didn't find it.
0: Um, just because I want I want I think that's a good starting point to see how you get past that yourself. When you do get past it, it.
1: page 66, by the way, the book is available on amazon.com,
0: amazon.com.
1: It's available for
0: how to be depressed pre-order, but
1: I understand a few people got theirs early. How to leave things unfinished.
0: All right. Um, Step one. So how to leave things unfinished. Have a brilliant idea. I
1: have them all the time.
0: We all do. Comedians, Especially especially in
1: the middle of the night.
0: Um, step two, write lots of notes about the idea. Important, make notes in a variety of spots. Napkins, your phone, backs of bank <laughs> statements. I get that. I got Evernote, uh, email drafts, oh my God. Word documents, uh, napkins, pieces of paper, note cards.
1: I You just described, yes.
0: Um, voice messages to yep. myself um, that I won't transcribe or do anything with for three years.
1: Did you cover napkins?
0: Um, yes, napkins.
1: Envelopes.
0: Envelopes are a big back,
1: one. Back, like when I'm taking in my bills and I look at something, I'm like, well, you got to be kidding me mm-hmm. with that. And yep, back of envelopes. Yep.
0: Step three, promise yourself you won't share idea with others for fear it will be stolen. Announce to everyone, I have this brilliant life-changing idea. Then share it anyway for early praise. I get <laughs> that.
1: I, I hope it's okay. I'm laughing. I haven't read it that much, the book. I was just- Is it, I it weird for me to, to be reading like,
0: it? Do you want to read it? No,
1: I'm enjoying okay. it. It's great.
0: I get it. Totally. I mean- we've all been there or at least yes. I have like calling my mom like, well, I, I started writing a script and it's going to be really good. And I, it's going to be, it's going to be the thing that changes everything.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's almost like we, we have to have that to keep going. When mm-hmm. I started standup, I was like, Oh, Oh, I'm going to be famous like in a, a month or two. Yeah. It's going to happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I gotta, I gotta pull back, you know, cause uh, I might just not be ready. <laughs> yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, that's, that's what keeps us going yeah. is being able to visualize it. And it's, it's, it's
0: good to put it out there. Yes. Um, but then it's following through, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, oh my God, I forgot how many steps this is. Um,
1: it's a lot of steps.
0: Step four, set goal to complete plan, to complete the plan by dinner time tonight. Yeah. Yes. We get that just quickly rushing into like, this has to be done now.
1: Yep. Clear everything else out. Cause this is the million dollar idea. Mm-hmm.
0: Step five, assemble all your notes. Of course, there will be one or two you won't be able to find. You're unsure what they were because you're a creative person who experiences altered states when creating. But you know these were the keys to your vision. Yeah,
1: there's
0: problem. Problem. (laughs) And part of it is, too, is like, yeah, I couldn't find the note cards, and I'm close, but I didn't have a chance to listen to those voice memos yet, and I can't find them, so this...
1: Yes. Because when you, as you gather the notes, you're trying to relive that moment of inspiration and you're like, ah, this doesn't feel quite like that drunkenness Mm -hmm. that I had before.
0: And it's incomplete and it won't be complete. Step six, make a file.
1: Make file. Very important.
0: Very important. Organize those files definitely relentlessly. Yep. And you can't necessarily go on to the next thing until you've, uh, you know, made sure your, your desktop is all filed perfectly and your iTunes, everything's capitalized in the right place. And
1: right. Right. And now you have to organize your old file. Oh, now I'm yeah. adding to my own book. You have to organize your old files, making yeah. sure there might be something in there that relates to this. Yeah, yep. absolutely.
0: Step seven, make a list of action items and next steps. Notice something just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Step eight, call a friend. Step nine, have a snack. Step 10, spend two hours searching for your lucky pen. Step 11, make a list of office supplies you'll need. Very important. <laughs> Step 12, rearrange your office according to the laws of feng, sh- feng shui. Yes, all the things. Yeah. Um, steps 13A to 13F look up the laws of feng shui, look up the news of the day, look up your horoscope, look up your ex's horoscope, look up pointers on focus, willpower and success. <laughs> that brings up another point too. It's like, we talk about reading these books and I've read, you know, it's not just the books, but the, the blogs and the, and of course there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, reading motivational things and, but they can be as much a crutch as anything else.
1: Yes, very much. Um, I really like, and I could, I could share the titles on, Air I could share it with you. But I really like the books that narrow down my steps. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need more. I've already thrown enough steps in there. Um, so I like, I always try and go for the ones uh, that really, which is uh, Eat That Frog. And uh, there's a, a really big willpower book. Um, but you don't need to read the whole book. You could read the other. But really, it's really knowing the rules. Like one of the rules that I learned is two goals a month.
0: Two that's, goals a re- month. that's really that's the good. way to
1: do it is two goals a month.
0: And are these like quote unquote big rock goals or.
1: I mean, they wouldn't be your, they wouldn't necessarily be your annual, you know, it could be an action step within a goal, but instead of making it, I'm going to get this done by the end of the week or by the end of the day, they say set it by the month mm-hmm. <coughs> and that that's, that's more re- and, and keep it with two
0: mm-hmm.
1: is, is the thing. Yeah.
0: I think that's very helpful. Yeah. Step 14, relax, have a drink. You can't work when you're this tense. Ugh, <laughs> I understand that one. Step 15, vow not to go on the internet, but first check WebMD for that weird bump you've got in your tongue. <laughs> I know that one too. I've self-diagnosed um, with at least 10 different diseases in the last year. Have you? And I've gotten through them. Self-healed.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now I They'll go to back. the doctor and I tell them what I have. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, I Googled it. I know what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, Step 15A, realize you're dying and must say goodbye to your loved ones. Uh, Step 15B, seek the opinion of a medical professional. Step 15C, get a second opinion. Go for a third, fourth, and fifth. Step 16, seek trauma counseling. Accept that you've just had a big scare and are not well enough to create anything. Failing to complete this project does not take away from the fact that you are a genius. Get it. Step 17, make a list of all your other great ideas. Circle those better than the ones that you're working on. Ugh, that one.
1: That one. Ugh when you go to start something and every time you go to work on it, you're like, is this the thing? Especially when you're doing things on your own time and your own money, you know, you're going, I only have a certain reserve here mm-hmm. and before that. Is that going to, is this the right one or should I be doing that? And that's where the other people's voices are very hard. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. I love, I love your rendition of this. This is great. No, this is
0: so much fun. I, I just get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Step 18, realize there are no fairies, no workshop elves assembling our ideas, but secretly continue to hold out hope that divine intervention will occur. It reminds me of the book, and one of my go-to books is um, The War of Art. By yes. um, Stephen Pressfield. But um, the idea, and also I think Stephen King has a famous quote. It's just like, inspiration hits me every day at 8 a.m. or whatever it is, but it's getting that habit. It's writing that at that specific time, you know, the universe will conspire when, you, when you're doing it.
1: Yes. Yes. And, um, Philip Glass is the same way too. He said that if he wakes up in the night and has an idea, he really tries to make it go away to train his brain to go, no, we're not doing this right mm-hmm. now. And, uh, but with jokes, I'm always like, Oh, you got it.
0: I think you got it right. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's just, um,
1: I'm not a composing a symphony like he is.
0: <laughs> well, it also brings up a thing, something I learned from Judy Carter,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, which is, you know, it's not trying to write that one perfect joke. It's about, you know, uh, brain dumping 50 ideas on this one thing, not looking for that one, um, perfect anything. Right. Um,
1: that's how I, that's how I do things. I sort of free write them out mm -hmm. and I just go no expectations. And then I print it off and bring it to the club. And then as I'm at the club, I, I usually won't do any of those, but I could just sort of go through and I could check Mark what's. What's worth looking at again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So.
0: And then we're almost done. Step 19. When you feel the fleeting pull of action or encouragement, breathe it out. Let it go. Remember, <laughs> if a brilliant idea exists in your mind, that's good enough.
1: And sometimes I think it is. Listen, projects are long. Yeah. They're really long. And... um and there's something to be said for, uh, engaging with the world and having a personal life. That's true too. So, um,
0: but maybe the, this know. is the pressure I think we put on ourselves as creative people, um, to be doing something and putting out there like the time i am spend worrying about not working on a project. If I just, then that compounds that night when I'm doing the things to distract me from not thinking about working on that project. Versus just spending that right. time during a day working on that project.
1: Analysis paralysis mm-hmm. is what my friend Carrie calls it.
0: Yeah. I, I get
1: that. Yeah. But it, you do, you have to know what those. Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody just operates differently. And, and, um, it's funny cause I, I find the books when I get into the paralysis, which I actually had a little dose of yesterday, so I can really speak to this. Um, reading articles on my phone about it helps because it's just helping bring down my anxiety level. And it's, it's directing me in a certain way, as opposed to, uh, a book is just giving me a whole other job to mm-hmm. do. So,
0: so bite-sized chunks of information.
1: Yeah. Just it's, you just have to figure out like what, what tunes your brain to the right frequency, especially when the mood changes a lot and the ADD tunes into so many different things. You have to find like, okay, well now I'm, cause sometimes, uh, I'm, I'm really angry. And so I need the thing that just makes me feel like everything is fun. Yes. And then, um, sometimes I'm really scared and then I need the thing that makes me feel really tough. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, did you have fun writing this book?
1: I did. I did have fun writing it. I was definitely, uh, under the gun with being sick cause I was coming in late. And, uh, there were two other, uh, countries that had bought it, which was, uh, France and Germany. And, uh, oh, and then I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody. I thought, I thought I never told anybody about depression cause it was depression. No, it's just that, see, that was one of those things where it was like, no, that's just me. That was just me. I don't so when I first had cancer, like I didn't tell my agent, I didn't tell the publisher. And then all of a sudden we get this email that's like, cause you know, first time writers even second are never on time. And so they're like, listen, we just need to make sure that this is coming in on time. And you know, my agent is like, you're, you're doing okay. Right. And I was like, Oh, we need to have a talk. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I think that might've even come in my very first day of radiation too. And, uh, they had told me that it was such small doses that I wasn't going to be sick. So I also didn't think it was necessary to tell anybody. Um, but, uh, I got really, really sick from radiation. It turns out, uh, in fact, the, the doctor at Cedars, he used the picture of my stomach as an example of the kind of person who would get sick. So, so it was, um, it was, it was high pressure. This is what I did enjoy about it. I enjoyed doing one thing. Yeah. I enjoyed giving myself over to one thing. Um, cause with standup now it's stand up booking promotion, travel plans and everything else. Yeah. And it was nice to just, yeah, be, Ugh, that be a, one t- project partner. <laughs> yeah. And my mom also was, she came cause I was, cause I was having treatment. So I had my mom there and you know, yeah, I,
0: that is the best excuse, though, if you're going is to be is? late on a on deadline. A yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I have cancer.
1: I yeah. No one's going to get angry with you. I have to say, I've been joking about this on stage like that. I'll, I'll sometimes still use the cancer excuse. I'll be like, oh, I can't. I have morning cancer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so. um, well, the final step is.
1: Oh, did. Oh, I thought we would Did we finish the final Well, I
0: think step, step 20. Finally. And this is the most important step you'll want to consider dot, dot, dot.
1: Oh, Right because... Wait, now I'm trying to see.
0: Oh. I thought it was just like a a make you think moment. That there's any infinite number of things you could consider before making a step. This is
1: why I didn't read the book. Because they made a few changes when they laid it out. with. Oh, this is supposed to
0: lead somewhere else.
1: Well, it was supposed to be uh, finally you'll want to consider and then, but it was supposed to cut off mid word because I didn't finish the instructions oh, got it. making fun of itself. I don't know if I was supposed to say that on air, but, uh, yeah. So but that still, was, so that was one of the, but it, but it resonated with you is thoughtful. Yeah. Okay. Good.
0: Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> there will always be a reason to not follow through or to get something done. There's always an excuse if you want one.
1: There is, there is, there's always an excuse. And, They're not, they're not bad. I mean, it's when you're the, uh, the boss of your own time, even on your time off, you're on. So, yeah, I've been trying to learn the balance between discipline, but also following my, my gut. Like this week, when did I, I, like, yes, yeah, yeah. Was it yesterday that wasn't? Oh, uh, yesterday it was Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday, but I had done uh, like a bunch of shows and then I did four shows over the weekend. And so it hadn't occurred to me of like, oh, but you didn't have a weekend. Mm-hmm. So my body just let me know of like, oh, we're, <laughs> we're done. We're done. Oh, and we, I
0: don't <laughs> know if we talked about you, you had asked me, but I don't think I asked you back, but like recharging for you. What is, what does that look like?
1: I'm, I'm still struggling with that, but it's reading is helpful. The walk is helpful the walk with a, with a healthy podcast, but it's so weird. It's just like food. Like I know what's good for me, but I still reach for the thing that's bad for me. Exercise. We're working on it. It, It's never been my go-to, but yes, I do feel better afterward.
0: Yeah. I think walking is, but we had a guest on that wrote a book called daily habits. Um, And it would just follow the habits of probably two or three hundred artists, composers, you know, authors, painters for the last two or three hundred years through memoirs and uh, letters they wrote. And one of the recurring themes was walking,
1: was walking. Yes.
0: Like, you know, walking from 30 minutes to two hours a day. And that's where ideas come. And um, so that's always stuck with me.
1: Yes. And you know what? I used to do that much more in New York City because I used to, the subway doesn't look that appealing, you know, on a, on a hot day. And so I would just be like, I don't want to go down there. And I I would, I would just walk for, I had a lot of stuff to work out because I was also gay and I didn't know it. And so there was a lot of walking to do. Um, here I do it. Um, oh, here's a trick that I'm trying to start for the walking thing, uh, is I ordered extra yoga. I can't, report back the data yet because I just ordered the yoga pants and they came in and they were, I ordered the regular size and they were too long. So was I wanted to get yoga pants for every day which are very comfortable. They're like pajamas. Mm -hmm. And then this way I put on every night yoga pants, clean shirt. Now all I have to do is put on my sneakers and leave the house.
0: That's brilliant.
1: Right? Because I'm not a morning person. So even the idea of changing my clothes is very hard. So Yeah, I have a lot of really good lazy habits. When I have to wake up early for a flight, I put, uh, I get M&Ms and, uh, I put them on my, I put just a few on my nightstand and you know how you have that thing where you wake up, but then you go, oh, I'm going to just close my eyes for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Dangerous. Very dangerous. So as soon as the alarm goes off, pop an M&M in my mouth, turn on my side so I don't choke. And then, uh, and then, what I, and then as it, the sugar, as it's melting in my mouth, it wakes me up. Well, then I start just eating them off my nightstand. Well, then I want more. But what I've done is I've put the bag in the other room. So now I have to get up to go get them. So
0: The M&M.
1: It's the M&M trick. trick. Yeah. That's brilliant. Isn't it brilliant? I know. That's Isn't really good for those 7 a.m. flights where you have to wake up at 4 a.m.
0: Yeah. I think it's just good for, I mean, getting up, I'm, I'm a snoozer, so it's like I'll snooze for three hours, which... It might as well just you know not set your alarm at all because then you're getting terrible sleep.
1: Yes. For that time, and you just feel jolted the whole. You're just like because then the guilt is rising. But I do have to say, and I have been trying to lay off the sugar because the the little cancery problem was in my stomach. But I do, but I used to. I mean, that was like a staple food for me was was sugar all the time. I do have to say. Sugar really makes the difference. It, you know, I mean, obviously I have some sort of addiction, but um, I, for a good reason, had icing in my apartment and cake icing. And it was really the difference between me going, nah, and going, hey, hey, there's icing in the other room. Yeah. You, don't, you live alone. You can just suck that right out of the tube. <laughs> and like, that was all I needed to wake up.
0: Well, I think that's a good life hack.
1: Isn't it? Yes, it's a good life hack. Not a healthy one.
0: Use it sparingly.
1: Use it sparingly. Yeah. And
0: you're supposed to have your sugar if you're going to have it early in the day so you can work it off.
1: Right. It's it's really almost like a health pointer, a healthy, Mm -hmm. yeah, instead of having dessert at night, just have cake icing in the morning.
0: It's the best. Well, this has been an amazing conversation.
1: It's been great. And
0: I would love to have you back because we could explore this more. Um, I think we just scratched the surface we with the book.
1: We should go for walks together.
0: but we definitely should walk. We'll, we'll walk in podcast.
1: Well, yeah.
0: Or, we, or no pressure. We could yeah. just walk and hang.
1: We could go for a walk. Let's very quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I need to burn some cows.
1: Yeah. So. And
0: feel good about me this.
1: too. I'm having icing in the morning and M and M's.
0: I love that. Um, okay. So if people wanted to say uh, see a, a live show. Uh, that was celebrated in this book with some. Oh, great we're comics. having
1: a book release party. Perfect. We're having a book release party. the The publisher's been fantastic, so we're doing it uh, at Acme Theater, February twenty third. Um, the uh, it's it's an it's an invite only, but uh, because they're they're comping everything, the tickets they're bringing in the alcohol I think they're giving out swag bags you know my publisher is also a, a gift company so it turns out they really like giving gifts and I think uh, I think there's gonna be some swag bags and gifts there and uh, so that's gonna be February 23rd and uh, it should be up on the um, I'm about just go to danaeagle.com it'll be up there uh, go to danyeagle.com and the Web site for it will be do 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 do.
0: Is that a dot .com?
1: Eventbrite. Eventbrite. It's going to be on Eventbrite, um, and but they can also go to my website or my Facebook and message me if they have a particular uh, association with publishing, depression, media, comedy. I'm not. I I'm think not. That's I just per- want people that are, we're just, we're really just having fun. It really was a long process. And uh, if you look in the back of the book, I have a lot of acknowledgements. And so it's really a fun time just to celebrate it. And uh, the comedians on the show, and it's going to be less show, more party, but it's going to be uh, Eddie Pepitone, Jackie Cation, Mark Eddie, and then Tommy Savitt, it's coming in from Vegas because he does uh, the Tommy Lama. Right, right.
0: Well, that's an amazing show. Yes. Acme on February 23rd. Yes. And um, you can see Dana here. Well, tonight will tonight. be in the past. Um, this will not be coming out right now. This is not live. But um, if you have a time machine, get back to whatever night this is. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And I, you'll be booked here. I'll be here. Many more times.
1: Even if I'm not, I'll just show up. I'm right down the street. Yeah. I don't have to be invited. I'll just come. Just come. Yeah.
0: You're always invited.
1: I love comedians.
0: Um, well, why don't you read?
1: Oh, I'm going to get to read. Oh, good. The
0: ending thing. I
1: love it. Work on your craft endlessly. Be a professional, be undeniable, and be as cool as fuck always.
0: For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at jamieflam.com, at jamieflam on Twitter, at gatekeeperpod on Twitter, and Junior on Instagram. This episode was produced by Andrew Steven, and a very special thanks to Buddy Peace for the music at the top and end of this and all episodes.